rumors of our demise were greatly exaggerated. Adashina Koiki on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, and we are finally back as this is lucky number 13, episode number 13. Well, I guess it's more unlucky than lucky given the fact that it's taken a couple of months to produce this show and get it out to you but we have produced the show and we're getting it out to you right now we've been busy with a few other projects of course uh, we have another podcast on the a lot of sports talk network down in distance talking about the national football league and that podcast will come out in a couple of days getting ready for week six but our flagship podcast the a lot of sports talk podcast is back episode number 13 and we have a couple of very provocative interviews for you this is the time where the national hockey league season starts and we talk a little bit about the national hockey league which did get underway on wednesday we concentrate on the metropolitan division for one of the interviews sherry ross the color commentator for the new jersey devils on sports radio 66 wfan joining us talking a little bit about the new jersey devils actually a lot about the new jersey devils and a little bit about the Metropolitan Division. A big reason we talk about the New Jersey Devils is because this season will be the first season since the 1990-91 season that Martin Brodeur will not be a part of the New Jersey Devils or the NHL. The future Hall of Famer not re-signed after the 2013-2014 season. We talk with Sherry Ross about the Devils going forward post Martin Brodeur. It's been a tough couple of seasons for the New Jersey Devils since they reached the Stanley Cup Finals in 2012 when they lost to the Los Angeles Kings. So we talk with Sherry Ross about the Metropolitan Division and specifically the New Jersey Devils. But our first interview, such a very interesting interview, and we had a privilege to have this interview done a couple of days ago. If you got a chance to watch the Winter Olympics in Sochi, how awesome was the Women's Ice Hockey Tournament in Sochi, Russia. It was one of the best watches uh, of all of the events in the 2014 Olympics earlier this year. And a lot of the players, a good number of the players that participated in the Women's Ice Hockey Tournament in 2014 play in a league called the Canadian Women's Hockey League. If you want to know more about the Canadian Women's Hockey League, go to CWHL. And our first interview is with the commissioner of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, Brenda Andrus. Such a fun interview, such an enlightening interview as well. These women do not get paid to play professionally. Five teams in the CWHL, four in Canada, one in the United States. But stay tuned. Such a remarkable interview that we had with Brenda Andrus. We, from now on, will support the CWHL, and hopefully you will too after listening to the interview that we had with the commissioner of the CWHL, Brenda Andrus. That interview comes in about three seconds, and we will see you at the very end of the show. Sherry Ross comes after the Brenda Andrus interview. Brenda Andrus first. We'll see you later on. One of the highlights of the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia, was the gold medal game of the Women's Ice Hockey Tournament. Of course, the dramatic overtime victory by the Canadian national team over the United States. But not only was that game one of the big showcases of the event, the Women's Ice Hockey Tournament itself was able to be presented to a world stage, and the world got to see the depth of talent of women's ice hockey players across the world. Teams 
teams like Finland, teams like Sweden, teams like Japan equip themselves very well on the world stage. And a lot of these women play professionally, and a good number of them play in the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And the league, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, gets set to begin the 2014-2015 season in just a couple of weeks, 12 days to be exact. And joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast is the commissioner of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, Brenda Andrus, joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. Uh, First of all, Brenda, thank you so very much for joining us. And there has to be a high level of excitement from you and the league front office that the league is just a couple of weeks away from starting. Oh, we are so excited this year. You know, it's the pinnacle for us is to get the skates back on, get on the ice, and deliver, you know, the product that we deliver to our fans because it's it's just so outstanding. And just as you said, like, you know, last year we were pretty happy. We had a total of 26 players come from the Canadian Women's Hockey League that participated in the Sochi, and uh, we're just, uh, you know, all those players now are back home with their teams and, uh, you don't have to wait four years. You're going to see the best hockey ever in the world right here in two weeks on the CWHL and all the home games. Uh, talk about the impact of the Olympic Games. You mentioned the number of players that participated in the Olympics and coming back and playing uh, with their uh, domestic teams in Canada or in the uh, United States. Just the exposure of the women's game to the world stage, how does that impact the CWHL? Well, you know, it it had a huge impact, and and the reason being for a couple of reasons. I think that, you know, uh, in 2007 when we started this league, we really wanted to approach it in a different manner, that we grew this league in a parity type of way, that every single team that was within the CWHL, the five teams, which are Boston, you know, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, and Brampton, are all built on parity. So these these players that you see on the national levels in the Olympics and then the players, you know, who just didn't make the Olympics are all within this league. And so it's huge excitement for us because our women train with, you know, all these other women for the four years. And really it's it's so amazing to watch as, you know, the players in the CWHL support their teammates going off to Sochi and then seeing the success of that, you know, happening uh, worldwide and seeing the game grow and recognizing that 13 million people tuned in to watch that, you know, phenomenal game and cheered our players on. It's just so exciting for us now to go back and go, wow, guys, you know, don't wait four years. Right here in your own backyard are these players playing with top players from across the world. So, uh, you know, we're excited every year when the Olympics happens, uh, you know, every four years so that people get to see the accomplishments that we've kind of been doing behind the scenes for the four years. And I think it uh, really hit the world stage this year. Once again, joined by Brenda Andrus, Commissioner of the CWHL, the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Uh, Take me through the founding of the Canadian Women's Hockey League. You mentioned that it was founded in 2007. Did you have an involvement uh, in the founding of it? Just take me through that time in 2007 and maybe a couple of years before that, uh, before the league was founded and started in 2007. Well, uh, actually, it was originally put together by uh, some players who at uh, that time had no place to play. Uh, the existing league before had folded, and the players wanted to continue to play. Um, and so they kind of formulated a group of individuals, and then I came on. Um, and I think my uh, passion and dream was always, when I grew up, uh, was to make it a professional league where women were paid. And I think I think the options that we had in front of us were very different than than other sports leagues were trying to accomplish. Is is that we wanted to be who we were and not somebody else. We're we're not the NHL. We're not uh, you know there's there's no fighting in our game. There's 
there's contact, but there's no checking. Okay. So our game is built on the, you know, pure hockey in the sense. And, you know, you see it every year, um, you know, at the playoffs, you see it at the Olympics when so many people tune in and watch the, you know, the, the men play that elite game of, you know, taking that fighting out of it. And they see it. So I think for us, we wanted to do a couple of things. We wanted to provide a family entertainment value to all our fans. We wanted to provide it at affordability. And and then we wanted to create an, an option or, I guess, a path where young girls and young boys could see the leadership within our women is, is that creating opportunities for women to grow, not only in the hockey game, but in the skills game of leadership. So providing, you know, women with positions of commissioners, of, you know, general managers, of scouts, and then trying to link those up as we move forward with other sports organizations where, you know, typically it was it would be a male-held job that we might be able to move in there. So our league kind of formulated with a mission to provide not only the elite players a place to play, but also for leadership opportunities for our women to grow and our fans then to be engaged in the fact of, you know, when they come to a game, the interaction with our women are very, you know, open. It's like, you know, after the game they sign autographs, they talk to the kids, you know, they they encourage them to follow their dreams, they encourage them to stand up to bullying and self-image. So it's kind of a whole concept behind our league as we say it's not just about hockey, it's about so many things and so proud in, in the recent year to belong to You Can Play, which, you know, Patrick Burke was a big part of in, in saying that, you know, no matter who you are in life, you should be able to do what you want and, uh, you know, be paid for it in, in some aspects. So we started to move forward and try to create a, a, a place where women will be paid. And we've come, you know, from where we started out uh, in 2007 of bringing in $150,000. And, you know, this year here we're $1.8 million, uh, you know, raising and, and we're getting closer and closer, I think, to, uh, you know, accomplishing uh, the, the dream and the rights for women to be to be paid. Uh, once again, Brenda Andrus, the commissioner of the CWHL, joining us on, excuse me, on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. Uh, you mentioned some of the characteristics of the league in terms of the rules, in terms of contact but not body checking, which a lot of people got to see uh, during the uh, uh, Winter Olympic Games, whether it be this year or four years ago. Uh, any differences between maybe the international rules uh, for the CWHL in terms of just watching the CWHL compared to international uh, women's hockey? Any subtle differences or any differences between your league and uh, internationally? Well, I'd be prejudiced to be honest with you. I'll, I'll tell you that you know the the uh, the CW is, a, in my opinion, is is a parity league. So you see no blowouts. I think that's the biggest difference. Is any given time, any of those five teams can beat the other teams. As far as the rules go, the rules are very, the, the rules are similar. We play IHF rules okay. uh, as a kind of a mix of that, and you know our rules as a professional league. So it's very much the same type of rule setting. But, you know, in, in our league, I mean, it, I mean, IHF, you know, has grown massively in all the other countries, you know, continuing to grow, continuing the grassroots to grow, to continue to grow that, you know, competition level. But, you know, the CWHL is the elite of the elite, so you're seeing the best of the best. So the game is, you know, fast from, from you know, right from the opening period to the drop of the puck. You know, last year the Toronto uh, Furies won it, which is affiliated with the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs, and I was ecstatic that they won the Clarkson Cup, and the Clarkson Cup is is our Stanley Cup, and uh, so it was quite unique that they carried the cup down the, uh, uh, you know, to the uh, Maple Leaf Sports Real uh, Sports uh, Entertainment and Bar, and it was quite successful, and the Maple Leafs were awesome in supporting it, and so it's it's a real 
um, you know, path for us to accomplish not only, like I said before, not only dreams, but the best of the best hockey in the world. And I think, uh, I think any fan that goes in, I'm always amazed. Uh, you know, they go into the game and they go, wow. And I go, yeah, wow is a big thing. And I, I just, I just want to say one thing. You know, we talk a lot about the Olympics. We talk a lot about the worlds and we talk about all the different competitions out there. And after the Olympics, you know, I did, I got a lot of emails, I got a lot of calls, I did a lot of interviews, and the fans were very upset when they found out that, you know, when the, when the boys were playing on the ice uh, for their gold medal game, the amount of salaries were astronomical. And when they found out the girls weren't making any money, you know, we had a lot of outrageous fans. And, and you know, my comment to the fans is, is in a simple term. It's like, you can build a league and be part of it. All you have to do is buy a ticket. Go online, purchase a $15 ticket. Go online, purchase $15 to stream our games. And you are a founder and a builder of an elite league. So it's like we can make a difference. Every single individual can make a difference. Every single woman can make a difference in another woman's lives. It's just a $15 ticket. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the sh- uh, option to stream games. Is every game available in terms of streaming online? No. So this year here, we, this another, you know, it's great. It's, thank you for asking that question because in previous years, we only streamed the, the playoffs. Uh, last year, we streamed 10 games. This year, we're, we're up with, you know, uh, we have to match the expenses. And, and so we're up to streaming 23 games. And then this year, we just signed a big deal with Sportsnet. And uh, they're going to be doing our playoffs and some um, key games throughout the season. So, uh, you know, we're really trying to uh, work with different organizations. And we're currently, um, you know, trying to put a deal together for uh, USA to follow all our games, uh, the streamed games also that we're doing. So, um, and I just wanted to add, most people, if you just go to, you know, CWHL.ca, you can, you know, get all the information, find out how to purchase the ticket, how to you know, download the streaming. Uh, once again, Brenda Andrus of the CWHL joining us, the commissioner of the CWHL. You mentioned the Toronto Furies uh, winning the Clarkson Cup, the equivalent of the Stanley Cup, uh, if you were looking at the NHL perspective. And the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, have a big part in supporting them. And there's another team, the Calgary Inferno, in which the Calgary Flames um, have uh, been able to be really good partners and support them. Uh, just talk about the impact of the NHL, how important that is in terms of the individual teams uh, being able to throw a ro- an arm around a couple of the teams, a few of the teams. And do you see more of an involvement of the NHL, whether team-wise or league-wide, in your league? Well, definitely the, the two, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, MLSE, and the uh, Calgary Flames have just been outstanding partners with us. And um, in ways that most people wouldn't actually see it is, is that, you know, through marketing, uh, through, you know, events where we partner with them and they, you know, highlight our players along with their players in, you know, lots of different ways of, of, you know, giving us games within their, their facilities and, and uh, the support from them are outstanding. And <clears throat> the long-term plan is to partner each team with an NHL team because um, it's, so, it's so essential. I mean, they are a big wheel. They, they, you know, they, their marketing department is, is three times the size of ours right now. But so, yeah, we're definitely looking at partnering every team with, uh, with an NHL club. And, uh and we see that as, as a great partnership. It's kind of like, you know, a brother and sister in a family because, it's, you know, one's successful and the other is helping the other be successful. And, and I think they can both stand alone. You know, we don't need to be incorporated 
uh, by the NHL. I think what we need to do is work together, and, and, and it certainly shows with the two existing partnerships we have, and uh, looking forward to putting together some new partnerships in the future with the other NHL teams. So it's going to be a model somewhat similar to the way the WNBA is set up now, uh, another professional basketball uh, league here in the United States, uh, which has partnerships with the NBA. At the very beginning of that league, all of the teams were owned uh, by the NBA. That's not the case now. I believe four or five teams are independently owned. So is that sort of a model uh, that you look at and say, hey, that might want to that might be the model that I want to follow, that we have a partnership with the professional men's league, but we still have a lot of independence. Yeah, I think that, you know, the partnership would not be in an ownership way in any way. It would be more of a partnership in supporting, in marketing rights, in uh, different uh, advertising opportunities, but not in an ownership way. Um, so a little bit different, uh, but yet similar to a lot of different leagues out there, um, that, you know, moving forward, um, the Major League Soccer has an awesome um, kind of structure that's put in place. Uh, I think for us, we're moving towards um, a structure that we've always talked about is when we decide to sell the teams, it will be more like a franchise for us. And, and uh, so not owned by the NHL teams, but more of a partnership. How important is expansion into the United States, not just with the viewership, but with the teams uh, as well? There are five teams. There's only one uh, based in the United States, the Boston Blades. They play in Somerville, uh, Massachusetts. How important is expansion uh, south of the border? Well, I think that's an obvious step. We've always talked about that at the board level and, and certainly at the commissioner's office is that, you know, the talent coming out of USA is astronomical and growing furiously. Um, and so we definitely have to take a look down the road, uh, you know, of the impact of putting uh, a team there because, uh, you know, we, we need another team, and, it, and I think the other team that we need is definitely um, in the USA. Um, it's just a matter of timing and, uh, and where to go because we have wonderful interests from a lot of different uh, cities. And uh, so now it's just sitting down and we're putting a task force together actually led by Caitlin Cahow, Um as the chairperson, and we're going to take a look at, you know, uh, very shortly of, of when to do it, how to do it, and, uh, and make sure that it's successful when we do it. What are the long-term dreams and goals of this league and short-term? So where do you see this league in about three or four years, and where do you see this league in 10 years, 15 years? Uh, great question. Three years we see the players being paid. Um, that's, that's our goal. And in uh, 10 years, I, I would like to see it, um, uh, you know, obviously growing to, you know, beyond uh, maybe, you know, seven or eight teams. I'd like to see more of an international uh, players being uh, coming over and playing within our league so we get a bit more uh, in, input from the uh, international players coming over. And that currently stops because we're not paying them. You know, it's almost impossible to come to a new country and, uh, you know, play the game you love and play the game that you're meant to do if you're not having some type of an income. Like, you know, you have to buy food and put it on the table, as a few of our international players have said in the press during the Olympics. Love to play in the women's game, but, you know, you have to earn a living somehow. Mm. So, but short-term for us, it's, it's very simple. Our short-term is to continue on the successful plan that we, you know, have put in place, and it's, it's working uh, very well for us is to continue to, uh, you know, broadcast more games in the future, uh, but end goal, um, I don't call it a dream anymore. I call it, uh, you know, the vision of success, and that is to pay our players. Uh, 
all of these players have to be pioneers, not only just because of uh, being in this league uh, in its infancy. I want to say infancy because we see this league uh, continuing on for the next 60, 70 uh, years. But if they do not get, do, is there any sort of compensation uh, that these players get? Any? Well, you know, we have this year here, it's, it's not a lot for our league. The players that are playing on the Olympic teams, or the national teams, they are given a stipend by each of their, by USA Hockey and Hockey Canada. So they do make a small salary from them um, in that particular way. For all the other players that play in the league, there is no actual payment that we, you know, cross you know, here's a check for, you know, this much dollars. But, you know, the, the uniqueness of this league this year here for us is that the players uh, don't pay for us anything within the league. So we we pay, we cover all the expenses now, including the meals on the road. We've taken away the 13-hour bus rides, and we're now flying yeah. uh, the players directly, you know, uh, from Boston back up to Toronto and back down. So so that's a big um you know, kind of take away for the for the future as you move forward. And then this year here, for the very first time, we are offering the players the the winners of the um, chairman's trophy, which is the person who ends up in first place, will receive for the very first time uh, a five hundred dollar bonus to every player and all the coaches, and then a five hundred dollar bonus to all the players who win the Clarkson Cup. So, you know, we've gone from not not uh, not doing anything totally to um, giving uh, you know prize money away for you know winning the individual awards within our our league you know when we talk about the you know the coach of the year the Angela James the rookie of the year and you know we're giving um, again a small amounts of dollars out with the prizes so for us it's a it's a huge movement when players you know seven years ago had to pay their meals they had to pay you know equipment they had to do a lot of the things so Bauer supplies our equipment. You know, uh, our founding sponsor, Scotiabank, has just been outstanding for us here. And just recently, you know, it, it's one of the stories I like to tell, to be honest with you, is we have such outstanding sponsors that, you know, that back us all the time. When you take a look at, you know, IBC, which is the Insurance Board of Canada, just came on brand new this year. It's going to be absolutely outstanding. Scotia has always been there. Bauer, Molson's, you know, Tim Horton's here. Like, they're just so great. And, and they and they know that the game is going to grow. They're in on the bottom level as sponsors, and and they can see it over the seven years. But I think the, the one thing I would really like to make sure that, you know, a lot of people know about, that every single woman in our league, and I think you used the proper terminology, which was awesome, is they are pioneers. These women know that they're probably doing what they're doing for somebody who will come after them. And they're really building a league so that all women one day can know that when, you know, they're, they, they love the game of hockey and they're following the game and in their dreams they say, I want to grow up and, you know, and be a professional hockey player, that it's actually true. Somebody doesn't at some age say to them, well, no, you, you can't be that. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to decide to go get a job. You're going to have to go decide that, your career's over it, you know, after you get out of NCAA or CIS. And for us, I just think the women are fabulous in knowing that they're the builders of tomorrow. Uh, please tell us, all hockey fans, all sports fans, and all people that want to get involved in uh, being a part of the CWHL, please uh, once again tell us how to get more involved. I definitely, um, sitting here, want to get a whole lot more involved in viewership and wanting to watch the CWHL and contributing to the CWHL. So once again, if you can, uh, for the fans out there, please tell us how to get more involved with this league. 
I, you know, I, I'm, and I'm happy to hear that you're excited because I'll be watching for you now to make sure. Um, we ask everybody, just simply go on and purchase a ticket. Go to cwhl.ca, download, uh, download uh, you know, get on, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, you know, download the stream games. It's $15, and you get the whole season for $15. So it's the best deal you can have. You know, tweet out about the fact of following it. Like, you tell somebody else who tells somebody else to say, support women, support the game of hockey in its truest form, and, you know, buy a ticket, download it, follow us, and talk and tell everybody about us. That, it's so simple. It's like, you know, it's, it's what we do every day on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I know that I do hope uh, with our coverage of the National Hockey League and hockey in general that we get a chance to go up uh, to Boston or get a chance to go up to Canada, go up to Montreal, go up to uh, Toronto to be a part of the league in person as well. Uh, Brenda Andrus, it has been such a pleasure getting a chance to uh, talk with you and talk with you about uh, the league uh, that you run. Uh, Brenda Andrus, Commissioner of the CWHL, it has been such a pleasure talking with you and we definitely will be uh, continuing to keep tabs up with the league and yourself um, as the days and months go forward. Brenda, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, and I look forward to seeing you in the future at our games and uh, continuing to highlight our players and uh, the teams in the future. So glad we have a new fan. The 2014 NHL season gets underway on Wednesday. The 2014 New Jersey Devils season gets underway on Thursday, facing their longtime rival, the Philadelphia Flyers in Philadelphia. And this season, 2014-2015, is going to take on a different tenor for the New Jersey Devils because this will be the first time since the 1990-91 season, which Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame goaltender Martin Berdur will not take a part of. And right now, joining me on the Alada Sports Talk podcast is Sherry Ross, primary color commentator for the New Jersey Devils on WFAN 660, and also a sports writer as well, spent time with the New York Daily News as well. So, Sherry, thank you so very much for joining us, and how are you doing today? I am doing great, and uh, just trying to get a lot of stuff done to get ready for the season. <laughs> uh, what's the one or two things that you're getting done right now, right before the Thursday game? Well, I have to go over all the changes from the summer because there were so many of them. I mean, it's it's not just, uh, you know, the team that you probably cover, but there's 29 other teams, and we're starting off with four games on the road, so I have to acclimate myself to the coaching changes, the managerial changes, what free agent went where, who retired, uh, who was injured. There's a lot of kind of housekeeping to do before the season starts. As I just said, Martin Brodeur, uh, wasn't re-signed after the 2013-2014 season last season, and the first season since 1990-91. Uh, being around with that, Mar- Marty won't be with the uh, New Jersey Devils. Uh, what are the biggest changes in the atmosphere that you might have noticed now that Martin is not a part of this team, being around the team, or if you've been around the team uh, right before the season started? Any big changes in atmosphere or mood uh, without Martin's presence there so far? I don't. Yeah, I really haven't noticed anything yet, and I think one of the reasons is because we knew this was coming. You know, it, you know, as the season last year was winding down, it was apparent that he would not be back. He he as much as uh, told us he would not be back with the Devils, and you knew with the Devils' commitment to Corey Schneider, their goalie of the future, last season was a very difficult season for both goalies. It wasn't handled, uh, you know, I don't think it was 
I think it was more difficult than either Lou Lamarello or uh, Peter DeVore thought it would be going into the season, and it didn't work out to the best for either gentleman. So, you know, Mark Hamburger sort of saw the writing on the wall, uh, came to a mutual parting of ways with the Devils, but still wants to play. So with, with their blessing, it's like, you know, go out and do whatever contract you can, and then when you're done playing, come back, and he will get some sort of role with the organization in the future. So it's not like two seasons ago where all of a sudden, you know, you Kovalchuk up and decides to retire. Yep. <laughs> it kind of shocks everybody in the NHL. Everybody knew this day was coming. The, you know, the gradual kind of passing of the torch has already happened. So it hasn't hit anybody yet. I think once the games start and you, you just don't see his name on the roster, that's the biggest shock, I think, uh, for a lot of people. When the Devils come to town and you're so used to seeing Marty Berger as your enemy, they're going to be a little bit shocked, but we're kind of used to it. Um, you mentioned how it wasn't necessarily handled so well with the heir apparent uh, coming in and playing and Martin splitting time. Um, how much did that affect the rest of the team? It wasn't a season that the Devils would like to remember given the past 20-plus years of excellence. How much did the state of flux at the goaltender position really affect the rest of the team last season? I don't know if it really affected the team. I, I just think it affected the performance of both players. I don't think either Schneider or Berger could have been at the top of their game because of the lack of work. I mean, one of the guys was not going to get enough work. And Berger's been used to playing 70 to 75 games a season. And Schneider's coming in after the trade thinking, okay, I don't have Roberto Luongo to sit behind anymore, but now there's this other guy who's even better than Roberto Luongo that I have to maybe take a back seat to. And I, I don't blame either guy. I don't blame management. I just think the situation uh, was harder in real life than it looked it, like it might be on paper. Uh, have you talked with Corey Schneider a little bit about going into an NHL season as the number one goaltender? Any difference between sitting behind Luongo and being essentially a career backup, and now he's the number one and taking over uh, future Hall of Famer Martin Brodeur? Uh, how is Corey Schneider approaching uh, this season, knowing that he is the uh, steadfast number one goalkeeper? I think he's. I think he wants, wants it. It's a position he's wanted for a long time. He has a great deal of belief in his abilities, as does the team. He played very well last season. Would have had a better one-loss record if he'd gotten any more support. Maybe one or two goals here or there yeah. would have uh, changed that around, but his goals against average was great. He needs to get better in the shootout. That's one thing he worked on during the summer and preseason and has acknowledged that as the Devils were 0-13 in the yeah. shootout last year. Uh, but his his mental ability is it's right there. He's ready to be a number one. He knows coming in that that's what the situation was going to be. So he's prepared for that all summer. And he finished up the season with two really good performances in the last two preseason games. He went the distance in both. And uh, so I think he's he's fully ready to to assume the uh, number one job. He got the big contract extension during during the off season. So the team has showed its faith in him, and he's ready to reward that. Once again, joined by Sherry Ross of the New Jersey Devils uh, color commentator and uh, broadcast team. And last season, you mentioned the scoring troubles uh, for the uh, New Jersey Devils. They go out this offseason, uh, Marty Havlett, uh, Mike Camilleri as well. Uh, what are the expectations for the Devils offense going into this season? Outside of just scoring more than you expect, uh, almost a 180 in terms of scoring output compared to last season? I think they're they're feel they're a little deeper scoring wise. They still you know they don't have a Steve Stamkos. They, they don't have a forty fifty goal scorer. 
But they need certain guys who underperformed last year. I mean, certainly Michael Ryder is one of those to to get 20 to 25, you know, to, to just increase their levels. And then they would have what looks right now in training camp anyway to be three solid lines that can produce. That means the opposition can't just send out one checking line uh, to, to shut that team down. So they think they've got a little more scoring depth up front. They don't have to score a lot more goals to have a better record, but they do need to score more timely goals, and that's one of the things that really eluded them last season. For so many years, the Devils have been associated with great defense, and part of that, of course, is with great goaltending as well. But uh, from Niedermeyer and Stevens and Rafalski, so many great uh, uh, defenders uh, on the New Jersey Devils. How does the defense pairings and the defense depth this season look for New Jersey? Well, it's a very young defense, and that's been a big change from the past couple of years. Um, they, they let uh, Mark Fain go to free agency, resign with Edmonton. Anton Volchenkov was a compliance buyout. Last opportunity to get those uh, done was this year. So two veteran guys taken off the roster. That leaves three veterans, and Andy Green was also resigned to a uh, to a long-term deal. Uh, Bryce Salvador, who's going into his last year, and Marek Zidlitsky, who got a one-year uh, additional contract. So you got the three veterans, but they're really relying on their kids. And, and this may be actually where the Devils' hi- uh, season hinges. John Merrill's been fantastic, got injured at the start of training camp, came on late, has played terrific. He will be one of their top 3D. He's going to face a lot of other teams' top defensemen. He can play, I mean, top uh, forwards. He can play in any situation. Very poised, very calm. And I think he's, he's kind of the, the, the linchpin, I think, for the defense. Two younger guys and Eric Chalinau, who was very offensively talented last year, needs to improve his defense. Uh, Damon Severson's been the surprise. He hasn't played a minute of pro hockey yet. Right now it looks like he'll start the season. Still not sure about that. Uh, we'll have to wait going ahead. And Adam Larson is another guy they're relying on to take that next step and be the steady every-night defenseman. So it's a young defense and even more than the forwards, I think you have to look at how the defense core of the Devils is going to thrive in front of Corey Schneider, and that may be the way their season goes. You mentioned Adam Larson. This is a player that was drafted, I believe, fourth overall uh, in the draft just three years ago, I believe, in 2011. So you mentioned how he has to take a uh, big step up uh, for the defense, for the team to be one of the better teams in the Metropolitan Division and in the uh, Eastern Conference. Once again, Sherry Ross joining us of uh, the New Jersey Devils Radio Network, Sports Radio 66 WFAN. And speaking of the Metropolitan Division, it's, it is loaded. Uh, you have Pittsburgh, you have Philadelphia, you have the Rangers, even Columbus uh, last season made it to the playoffs and had a very good showing uh, in the first round against the uh, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. It, it may not be the central division uh, with Dallas and Minnesota and St. Louis and Chicago, Colorado as well, but this is one of the best divisions uh, in the uh, NHL and a tough division for the Devils to probably crack through and uh, make it into the playoffs. How do you see the Metropolitan Division uh, shaking out? I, I see it as just completely wide open. I, okay. I, don't, see a, I don't see a real dominant team. Um, obviously, the Rangers are getting a lot of uh, focus because they made it to the finals last year, but if you look at the recent record of teams that went to the finals and lost, which included the 2012 Devils. They're six, they're, the succeeding year is usually not very good, and the Rangers lost a couple of gritty guys uh, off their roster. So I, I don't see them as automatic uh, division winners, but they, they'll certainly be up there. Uh, Pittsburgh has had a lot of changes. Now they still have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and it's tough to top those two on any team in the East. Uh, but they've got a lot of weaknesses in other areas. Philadelphia Flyers, another team that tends to go through a lot of changes. 
uh, I, I just think it's just going to be a real mix. I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. And I think if any team goes through a prolonged slide, they'll find themselves in a lot of trouble because it's going to be hard to make up ground. So you think even a team like the New York Islanders, even and I believe the Islanders made uh, a good number of moves um, as well in the offseason to try to bolster uh, their roster, There, you don't see a clear-cut favorite in this division? I don't. I don't see a favorite, and I don't see a throwout. Oh, really? <laughs> it kind of works both ways. Okay. Uh, it's like when you handicap a horse race, and sometimes you can go, "Oh, these these aren't going to be factor in. I'm just going to ignore them." I don't think you can do that anymore. The, the Islanders. I still kind of see them as a lightweight, but they're in the mix for a playoff spot. They certainly improved their defense core with a couple of pickups in the last couple of days, and they signed Yaroslav Halak, which gave them a, a more solid. Uh, goaltender than they've had in the past. They're a little thin up front, but they're another fast team. And if you take them lightly, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna torture you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that they're they're a team that shows up every night. Like, that's a credit to uh, to John Tavares, who is just I think one of the most underrated players in the NHL. Once again, talking with Sherry Ross, color commentator for the New Jersey Devils on radio. And uh, it's a, very important to mention that because you've been a color commentator for the Devils, then went on to your print career for the Daily News, and now back uh, with the Devils on radio. And I believe, if memory serves me right, that you are the only woman to be the primary color commentator for one of the four professional sports teams and I want to ask you a little bit about your broadcast career and how that got started and how you got to New Jersey and uh, paired up with uh, now Matt Lachlan before Mike Miller being a color commentator uh, for a professional sports team and with the New Jersey Devils. Oh, it's entirely accidental. <laughs> I, never <laughs> plan- I never planned on a broadcast career at all stemmed out of the sports writing uh, part of my career, which is what I set out to do. That was, that was something I wanted from college. Uh, but the broadcasting part was Lou Lamorello's idea. He, he, had, he needed a color commentator. It was, like, I think, 1992 or 93 when this happened, and uh, asked me to try it out. He said, come in, try out. for. Uh, we'll give you a five-game tryout. I tried out. They liked it. I got hired. Uh, I did leave after the first cup to go back to sports writing, but, again, when uh, the second opportunity came up, uh, now eight years ago, believe it or not, I thought it was time to move back, and I've had a very good relationship with Matt Lachlan on the air, and it's, it's a lot of fun. How was that first tryout, and what was your reaction when uh, Lou Lamorello asked you to try out initially? Well, I always compare it to, it's like if somebody like Steven Spielberg comes to you and goes, I've got this great part for you in a movie, can you ride a horse? And even if you can't ride a horse, you will say you can ride a horse because you want to be in that movie because it's a great opportunity. And that's what this was for me. I mean, I never, I think I took one broadcasting course in college, (laughs) you know, going back a ways, never really thinking it would amount to anything. And if I went back and listened to those broadcasts, from the 90s, I think I would be horrified. I think I was much better prepared the second time around, and uh, I enjoy it so much. It, you know, the news writing business has changed so much with the 24-hour news cycle. You blog and you tweet, and you. Ch- I don't know when these guys sleep anymore. So I kind of got out at the right time, and you know, I bring a different voice, I bring a different perspective because I was a journalist, so I approach the game that way. I can't give insight as an ex-player because I'm not an ex-player. So I do the best I can with uh, analysis or, you know, stories from talking to people and just kind of analyzing the game. And it's a great game. Stuff changes all the time. You have different people. You'll always have something happen in a game you never saw before. You would think after you've seen thousands of games, you've seen it all. But that's what's so great about sports. You always get something new. 
Believe me, growing up as a New Jersey Devils fan, your voice the first time around was just fine. Believe me. And now the second time around, it's more than fine. You don't have to uh, listen with horror uh, if you listen to your broadcast uh, from your first run uh, uh, with the New Jersey well, Devils on the radio. You're, yeah. you're way too kind, but I have the cassette tapes here somewhere. <laughs> I don't even know if people have cassette players anymore, but at some point I probably could go back and listen. I, you know what? As a broadcaster myself, I will send you my cassette tapes of my first few broadcasts back in college <laughs> all right, to make you feel a whole lot better. All right, how's that? We all have to start somewhere, right? Yeah, you always have your first job. That's what I said. Everybody has a first job, and that was like my first job doing that. So uh, I'll, I'll take a little mulligan on it. <laughs> Sherry Ross, color commentator for the New Jersey Devils on radio on Sports Radio 66 WFAN. It has been a pleasure getting a chance to talk with you, talk about the Devils, talk about the National Hockey League, talk about your uh, broadcast career. Again, it has been such a pleasure, and we hope to catch up with you down the road. The Devils and the Flyers on Thursday to begin the season for the 2014-2015 New Jersey Devils. Sherry, thank you so very much for your time, and we do hope to talk to you and catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. Pleasure talking to you. That might have been one of the more rewarding podcasts that we have done so far. Our sincere thanks to both Sherry Ross and Brenda Andrus for joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast to talk about red hot action on the ice. So episode number 13, getting ready to come to a close next week, of course, episode number 14. And we're going to concentrate a little bit on baseball. Of course, the league championship series getting underway in the American League, the Kansas City Royals taking on the Baltimore Orioles. Kansas City winning game one, eight to six in extra innings. So Kansas City, a one nothing lead in the American League championship series, the National League championship series getting underway on Saturday, the St. Louis Cardinals against the San Francisco Giants. And if you have been a fan of baseball for many, many years, uh, one of the first things that pops into my head and might pop into your head when thinking about the NLCS between the Giants and Cards 1987 between San Francisco and St. Louis the infamous series in which Jeffrey Leonard the slugger for the Giants uh, with the one flap down diss of the St. Louis Cardinals I believe he had home runs in each of the first four games in that series for the San Francisco Giants against St. Louis although that was a series that St. Louis did win before losing in the World Series to the Minnesota Twins. So we will concentrate a little bit on baseball and the league championship series for episode number 14. And you never know who else will stop by and join us on the podcast. So our podcast getting ready to wrap up, but make sure you log on to a lot of sports We will have the down and distance podcast ready for you on Saturday, previewing week six of the National Football League. Holly Culbertson and myself, we had our debut show last week, and it was a rousing success. We joined forces once again as co-hosts to talk about week six in the National Football League and a very interesting week in the National Football League coming up. A couple of key games that off the top of my head that I can mention to you, the New England Patriots taking on the Buffalo Bills for AFC East Supremacy, and also the Dallas Cowboys going on the road 
in Seattle, the Emerald City, to take on the Seattle Seahawks. So we will talk about news and notes and many different things about the National Football League on the Down and Distance podcast that will be released tomorrow. And Holly and myself co-hosting it. And you will hear so many things about the National Football League getting ready for week six. And also stay tuned to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast and a lot of sportstalk.com for the weekly rankings of the college football top 25. You never know where one team is going to be ranked from one week to another, especially given the crazy nature of college football last week. Upsets, big victories, and so many teams shifting all the way up or all the way down the rankings because of one of the crazy weekends in college football history last week. Five of the top eight teams in the Associated Press went down. And if you go by our poll, each of the top three teams last week in our poll from last week lost so stay tuned to our rankings the a lot of sports talk college football top 25 rankings so episode 13 is done episode 14 next week we thank you so very much for joining us my name is adishina koiki we will see you next week right that's right you take care have a good evening bye-bye